all of life is clay in the hands of the potter. He holds the good and the bad, the beautiful and the ugly, the upright and the disgraceful. The remarkable thing about the Father is that he is able to take all of the pieces of life and work them into a unique masterpiece. When all I am encounters the great I am, the result is transformation, blessing, and life. So, Father, that is, that's the position of our hearts this morning, that we would in, invite you come fount of every blessing. And would you tune our hearts and, Lord, shape our, our lives, focus our eyes to see, to savor, and to live in your good grace. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. In 2010, the film Inception came out. It was sort of a science fiction thriller about a person who is able to enter into, manipulate, and shape dreams. And in this film, the lead character, the protagonist, played by Leonardo DiCaprio and named Dominic Cobb, makes this profound and I think very true statement. He says, what is the most resilient parasite an idea. A single idea from the human mind can build cities. An idea can transform the world and rewrite all the rules. That's a pretty interesting statement, isn't it? That one idea, maybe a word spoken and a word believed, has the ability to transform the world, to build cities. Is an idea really all that powerful? Well, if you have your Bible, open to Genesis chapter 27. And we're going to jump into a story, into a narrative where this is going to be one of the themes. The idea uh, that a word spoken and believed has the ability to shape and transform worlds. We're jumping into the middle of a story. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, you know that our, our main character in this series is Jacob. We're looking at his life, and we're trying to ask the question, God, how do you point out in the life of Jacob the way that you use all of the stuff in our life, the stuff we're proud of and the stuff we're ashamed of, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the everywhere in between? How do you use all of that to shape us and make us into the people that you're calling us to be? Well, we're picking up in this story, and Jacob's father's name is Isaac, and Isaac loves Jacob's brother, whose name is Esau, more than he loves Jacob. And he pulls Esau aside, Isaac does, and he says, listen, I want to give you a blessing. I want to give you the blessing. And I'm a little bit hungry, so what I'd like you to do is go and, and catch me some dinner first. And when you bring that dinner back, prepare it the way daddy likes, okay? And when you, when you bring it back, I'm going to give you the blessing. Now, Isaac is old at this point in time. He's blind. And Jacob's mom, Rebecca, overhears him make this statement. And Rebecca loves Jacob more than Esau. And so she pulls Jacob aside and says, hey, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Your dad just promised the family blessing to your brother. But what I want to do is I want to have you steal the blessing. 
And so we're going to prepare the dinner that dad likes. You take it in. You pretend to be Esau. And you steal the blessing from your brother. See, here's what we're starting to find out. Is that Jacob is living up to his name. Now, no offense if your name's Jacob. My guess is your parents just like the sound of it. That's how we pick names primarily today. But back in this day, a name really meant something. And in this case, it meant heel grabber. It meant cheater. It meant swindler. It meant shady character. And Jacob is going to start to live up to his name. And he has a co-conspirator in this story, and it's his mom. His mom has prepared all the dinner for him to take in to his father to get the blessing to trick him, pretending to be somebody else, and to take what was his brother's. If you have your Bible, Genesis 27, starting in verse 18. The meal's prepared. The, um, the lie is embedded, and he's about to start living it out. Verse 18. So he, and he being Jacob, went into his father, and he said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul might bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you found it so quickly, my son? And he answered, because the Lord, your God, granted me success. And Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I might feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him, and he said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. See, his mom made him um, goat skin to put on his hands and to put on his neck in order to feel and smell more like his brother. Verse 23. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. And then he said, bring, near, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father, Isaac, said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. This is sort of the climactic scene in the narrative. His father brings him near. He smells him. He kisses him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is of the smell of a field the Lord is blessed. <laughs> what a great compliment, right? You smell like a dirty field that God's hands are all over. Praise you, my son, right? Verse 28, May God give you the dew of heaven, the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed everyone who blesses you. Verse 39, or 30. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. Remember, he's off trying to catch the game that his father loves to bring it in to get the blessing. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father, Isaac, said to him, who are you? He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. And Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came. 
And I have blessed him. Yes, he will be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, oh my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Interesting story. Interesting narrative. It all revolves around this idea of blessing. And we have a fairly infantile view of blessing in our culture and even in our church culture today. I mean, we use the word blessing like, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm blessed. Hashtag blessings, right? I'm blessed. Or somebody sneezes and we say, God bless you. God bless you. We even use the word blessing as a way of almost um, uh, judging someone, right? Like, oh man, that, that couple, they cannot control their kids. God bless them, right? But back in this culture, that word blessing really meant something. In the, in the Greek, um, which this was written in Hebrew, but in the Greek, the word blessing literally means um, good word or to speak a good word over. To speak a good word over. Um, blessing would be the projection of good into the life of another person. The projection of good into another person. Or, or you could view it as an accurate spiritual discernment of who someone is. And then using very carefully crafted words and symbols and ritual in order to unearth the blessing or the reality that you see in their life. It's speaking good over the life of another the nation of Israel, they had a long history of blessing. They were a people of blessing. In fact, God gave them this command early on. The Lord spoke to Moses. This is in Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 to 26. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his son, saying, Thus you shall, what? Bless. Are we, are we dialed in today? Are we okay? We got the, the snows kicking in a little bit. Okay, that's all right. And the Lord said, And you shall bless the people of Israel, and you shall say to them, the Lord, what? Bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance towards you and give you peace. And every single time the Jewish community of people would meet in synagogue, after the service was, when the service was closing to an end, the rabbi would come up and as the service ended, they would recount this blessing over the people. And the people received it as the very words of God, the good words of God. So, is this is the narrative in Genesis chapter 27, where Jacob so longs for the blessing from his father, and Esau longs to get it back. Is this just some pre-modern sort of magical incantation idea that we've moved beyond? I mean, when I first read it a few times this week, I thought, Wow, this is, this is a very interesting narrative, an interesting story, and I'm not sure how much it has to do with life today. But then I remembered as a youth pastor, I was leading a group of sophomore guys. 
And one of the guys' names was Tom. And Tom shared in this small group of guys, he wasn't, he wasn't the most athletic guy in the group, but he was a very intelligent guy. And he shared with us that he gave his father an English paper that he'd written to proofread and get back to him before he turned in. And he said, my father gave it back to me. And on that paper, he said, you're not as smart as I thought you were. And what Tom said struck me because he said to that group of people, that group of young boys, those words are seared on my mind. And which one of us in this room haven't had things said to us that just stuck? See, we can have good things that stick with us, right? And we can have really negative and bad things that stick with us. We can have words of blessing or words of cursing. But words have this way, don't they? Words have this way of just sticking in our soul. Jim Davidson in 1992 with his best friend at the time, Mike Price, were climbing Mount Rainier. And they got to the very top of Mount Rainier and they snapped this picture. And on the way down... They fell into an 80-foot deep crevasse, and Mike died upon impact, and Jim was still alive, but he was caught on an ice ledge that was only two feet wide and 80 feet deep. And over the next five hours, he started to climb out, climb his way up. And after he made it to the top, spoiler alert, sorry, but after he made it to the top, Jim Davidson wrote a book called The Ledge, and in it he said, the entire time I climbed, the words of my father kept coming back to my mind. See, from the age of 12, he'd worked as a painter with his father. His father had a contract painting power, um, power poles, and so he would climb up and they would paint them. And from the age of 12, his father spoke words of encouragement and life into him. And he said, the entire time I climbed, I just heard my father speaking to me. So I ask you, is the idea that words have power a primitive, magical, incantational type of idea? Or is it the reality of the world that every single one of us lives in? I would argue the latter. Because you have things in your mind and in your heart that somebody spoke to you years, maybe even decades ago. That as much as you want to get rid of them, you can't. And you also, I hope, have words that people have spoken over you, words of good that in many ways shape and define your life. Walter Brueggemann, the great Old Testament scholar, talks about this passage and he says, this narrative presupposes that symbolic actions have real and lasting power. Spoken words, especially from a parent to a child, shape our human life. Words are not a matter of indifference that can be attended to or not as a matter of convenience. I'd say it like this. We all heard growing up, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. What a bunch of garbage, right? I mean, it should be sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can break my heart, can shape my soul. 
right? That, that's a little bit more difficult to say to a, a second grader, right? They're like, whoa, I get it. But it's true, isn't it? It's true that spoken words, spoken words shape human worlds. Spoken words shape human worlds. The words that we speak, they shape marriages. The words that we, shape, that we speak shape, shape the job that we work in. They, they shape the way that we view the job. They shape the, the way that we do the job. They have a power over us. Words that we speak, they shape dating relationships and homes and neighborhoods. I mean, you name it. Every single environment you operate in is shaped by someone's words, by someone's words, and oftentimes by your words, which is why even the New Testament is so keen on inviting us to contemplate the power of the words that we speak. Listen to the way that James, one of the great leaders in the early church, puts it. He says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. You want to control a horse, he says, just control their mouth. Look at the ships also. They, though they are large and are driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Large ship, small rudder, which tells it exactly where to go. What's his point? So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts great things. The tongue, um, small in size, but not in stature, not in influence, because human words shape the worlds that we live in. Yet it boasts great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Have you ever stopped to think about the power in your tongue? The power not only over your life to shape the direction and course of your life, but also the lives of other people. Nelson Mandela had some time to think about this. 27 years in prison, much of it in solitary confinement. And listen to what he says. It's never my custom to use words lightly. If 27 years in prison has done anything to us, it was to use the silence of solitude to make us understand how precious words are. And how real speech is in its impact on the way people live and die. So maybe this idea of the power of words or the power of blessing isn't just some sort of magical, incantational type of pre-modern idea that we have simply moved beyond with all of our maturity and all of our advances and all of our technology. Maybe it's something that's still deeply embedded in the human soul. That the words that we speak and the words that people speak over us have very real and lasting power. Maybe it is true that the tongue still is one of the most powerful and influential forces in the entire world. Maybe it's true that worlds are shaped by words and then an idea has the power to build or destroy cities and to transform the world and your world. Maybe it's true that words shape worlds 
Well, I'd like to propose to you today that it is, and I want to draw out from this passage three ways that that happens in the life and narrative and story of Jacob. Three ways that that happens. Number one, number one, if you have your Bible, will you open it? Um, 27, chapter 27, and look with me at verse 8. Rebecca is giving Jacob this instruction, and in verse 8, she says, Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Verse 13, his mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son, and only obey my voice and go and bring them to me. Verse 43, now therefore, my son, obey my voice, arise and flee to Laban, my brother in Haran. You catching the theme? Um, mom's a little bit controlling. Mom's a little bit, just, just a tad uh, manipulative, and she's pouring into her son these three words, obey my voice. And here's what we see. Here's what we see in the life of Jacob. That words have this ability to shape worlds because they often determine our direction. The voices that we allow to speak into our life have an ability to help chart the course of our life like no other. And unfortunately, it's oftentimes the loudest voices that get a hook into our soul rather than the wisest voices. And so Rebecca's voice is the loudest in the life of Jacob. But here's her problem. She had, she had two problems. Number one is her whole world was shaped by fear. She had this fear that her most beloved son, Jacob, was going to, like Kurt Cameron, be left behind. And she, he was not going to get the blessing. He wasn't going to have the life that he so desperately wanted and that she wanted for him. And so her whole world was shaped by fear. And you know what happens when our world is shaped by fear? We control. We take things into our own hands. And when we can't imagine a good outcome because of the fear that has so blinded us, we feel like we have to take things into our own hands and we have to get the job done. And we will do whatever it takes and we will run over whoever is in our way in order to get what we want. The other thing that Rebecca does is she is crippled. She's blinded and hardened by fear, and she is crippled by doubt. Listen, she has a promise from God that the older will serve the younger. She doesn't need to go there. Now, ironically, this is what God uses in order to exact his plan and his purpose in the world. But Rebecca, she just needs to take things into her own hands. Why? Because she does not believe that God will be good on his word. So here's a question. Do you? Do you? I started to wrestle with the idea of, all right, if the words that are spoken to me to help determine my direction and um, that oftentimes the loudest voices, not the wisest voices, get my attention, how do I choose who speaks into my life? If you're asking that question, it's a great question. Let me tell you what I came up with, okay? One, I want people who are wise to speak into my life. That, that's one of my criteria. That's one of my lenses. I want people who recognize who God is and our place in his world. Those are the people that I want to speak into my life. Number one. Number two, 
I want somebody to speak into my life who is a little bit further down the road than I am walking. So I would put that in the category of wisdom. But I want people, I want people who when I look at their life, I would want my life to turn out in a similar way. It does not mean that they're perfect. In fact, if they put off the aura that they are, I'm out because I don't believe you, okay? So it's not that they're perfect. It's just that they are in a place that I would want to be. Number three, are they passionate? Are they passionate? Do they care about something deeply? Those are the people I want to speak into my life. Fourth, is their life laden with joy? Those are the type of people, if, if, if people are always grumpy, I'm not giving them this voice into my life. No offense, but Jesus has risen from the dead. He reigns. He rules. He's good. His joy is mine right now. And if it isn't yours, I don't want to give you the right to speak into my life. No offense. No offense. You can speak into somebody else's, but not mine. How do you decide who speaks into your life? We, we think this is really important at South, and so um, Pete and Sue Muckley have done a great job organizing a mentorship program. Why? Because we believe that words have the ability to shape worlds and determine the direction that our life goes. But here's the deal. Will you look up at me for just a second? We have way more people that are saying, I would like a mentor, than we do people saying, I'm willing to mentor. And so I just want to throw it out there that maybe you would be somebody whose life is laden with joy, that you're, you're a person of wisdom, that you would say back to people who are a little bit further, um, not quite as far down the road, hey, I'd love, I'd love, I'd love to speak into your life if you'd allow me to. In our bulletin, every single week, you can mark that little box that says, I want to mentor or I want to be a mentor, and we will follow up with you and help you get connected. Secondly, look at verses 30, verse 34 with me again. Verse 34. It says, and as soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, what? Bless me, even me also. Oh, my father, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Here's what Esau is saying. Dad, I can't go on. If I don't hear the good word spoken over me, dad, I can't go on if I don't hear you say something good over my life. As Dallas Willard so adequately put, our souls were made to be blessed and we cannot survive without the blessing. It is impossible to live a healthy life that's unblessed. It's not just a nice addition to life. It is a central component to living in the abundance that God has designed us to live in. See, this whole family knows that without the blessing, life has no fresh possibility and no new beginning. It's no accident, friends, that 85% of youth who are in prison today grew up in a home without a father. It's no accident. You just, you just put those two things together, and what we see is this 
immense power that words have in our life to shape worlds. Why? Because words have an ability to confirm our value. They have an ability to speak something over us that unearths something deep inside of us. That we are people created in the image of a most high God. And the true value that we embrace oftentimes comes through the blessing that we receive. And I would say the opposite is true also. That the value that we lack is a direct result of not hearing the most important people in our life speak blessing over us. You show me a confident young adult and I will show you somebody who had parents or mentors or friends who spoke words of encouragement and good and blessing over their life. You show me somebody who wonders who they are, who's faltering and who's stumbling along, and I will show you someone who lacked people speaking this good into their life. See, we either receive the validation we long for or we spend our lives fighting to say it's true. I'm worth it. I'm okay. We either receive it or we fight for it. It's one of the two. One of the two. And it's, it's interesting. Because if you go back and you read through this whole narrative, which I would encourage you to do, Jacob is this poignant figure, I believe, of the modern and postmodern person. He goes about getting blessing the way that we often go about getting blessing. What does he do? Well, he knows that being Jacob isn't good enough. That's been pounded into him from day one. Hey, you're the second born in a firstborn society. You don't hunt. You're more of just a stew maker. And so you're not as loved as your brother. So Jacob, the message from the get-go to Jacob is who you are is not enough. And who you are is not okay. So what does Jacob do? He dresses up as his older brother. He dresses up as Esau. In fact, when his father asks him, what's your name? He says, my name is Esau. And can you imagine how much those words sting coming out of his mouth? Because what he longs to hear from his father he knows he cannot hear if he's honestly and truly himself. So what does he do? He pretends to be someone he's not. He takes on a different name, pretends to be somebody he's not, and then he dresses up to pretend and to play a part. He puts on his brother's clothes. His mom makes him some extremely free mittens, I guess, and uh, a neck gaiter to wear to pretend like he's his brother. Can we just take a time out for a moment and acknowledge how hairy Esau must have really been? I mean, ginger, Chewbacca, slash Bigfoot, I mean, hair everywhere on his hands? Are you kidding me? Where a goat skin would pass as a hand? Anyway, I'm just in awe. I don't know if you are, but what does he do? He covers himself. He covers himself. He takes a page out of his ancestor's book. Because this is the exact same thing that Adam and Eve do in the garden. 
And see, they're created naked and unashamed, Genesis chapter 2, verse 25 says. They are completely, here's what that means. They are completely comfortable in their own skin. They're completely okay with who they are. They know and they are known perfectly. They're an open book. And because of the perfection that they were created into, they are perfectly good with that. But when sin comes into the world, what happens? They start to cover themselves. They start to hide from God. When their eyes were open, they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They, they said, listen, we can't just be who we are. Because who we are isn't okay. And who we are can't be blessed. And who we are is broken. And shame enters the world. And shame always causes us to try to dress up as someone else. Because we know that the real true us is unblessable. That's Jacob's world. That's Jacob's life. And if you look at sort of his story arc, he hears what he wants to hear from his dad. But instead of making his life in many ways, it destroys it. He hears these words, but he knows they are not for him. They're not for him. And that's the way that wearing masks works for all of us, isn't it? I mean, if we pretend to be somebody else, it's impossible to receive the love that we so long for. When we wear masks, when we're dishonest, when we're unwilling to engage our own story and then engage the stories of others, we prevent ourselves from receiving the very thing that we long for. Because when people only know a facade, they can only love a facade. They can only accept a facade. They can only bless a facade. And these words haunt Jacob's life. And so if you fast forward to Genesis chapter 32, when he's wrestling with God, God asks him, what's your name? In the same way that his dad asked him. And he says, this time he says, my name is Jacob. And he says, I will not let go until you bless me. Because the words of my father still ring in my ears. I know it wasn't really for me, and it haunts me because I heard what I wanted to hear, but I knew that it wasn't really for me. And so how many of us do this? We dress up. We dress up in maybe it's a dating relationship. We know, hey, if they knew the real me, there's no way they'd accept me. There's no way they'd like me. There's no way they'd eventually love me. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pretend to be someone else. Maybe it's in a job. Maybe we got into a job because we felt like, all right, we wanted our budget to look like a certain thing. And so we know that's what we've got to put on and that's what we've got to do. And we got into a job or a career field that we know just we're not passionate about. We don't love it, but we're doing it because we're wearing the coat. We're playing the part because we want it to yield a certain end. Or maybe, hey, 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 maybe it's just the way we walk in the doors here. I mean, you have a terrible fight in the car on the way here. You walk in the door, somebody greets you. How's it going this morning? Hashtag blessed, right? We're doing great. We're wonderful. We often put on masks and we often play the part and we refuse to be honest with our pain 
and we refuse to let people in, and in doing so, we prevent ourselves from really being loved. Hey, can, I, can we look up at me for a second? If people don't know the real you, they can't love and they can't bless you. They can only bless and love the costume that you wear and the part that you play. And eventually, that starts to haunt the human soul. Because the validation of our humanity, as much as our culture wants to push us out and away from everybody else to find out who we are, the reality is, is that we were created for community. And that the validation of our humanity takes place in community, not in autonomy. An intrinsic value, the value that is in us because we are children of the most high God, is unearthed and uncovered through human blessing and human words confirmed by the truth of who God is and what God's done. So, human words shape the worlds that we live in. Why? Because they help determine our direction. They confirm our value. And number three, number three. You see this as you look at the blessing that Isaac projects over Jacob's life. But you see, his, the blessing was for things of physical, material blessing, of earth, of fertility, of well-being, of shalom. It was a, a blessing of power and preeminence that his name would continue to be great. It was a hedge of protection over it. I don't know, I read through this story probably 30 times this week, and every single time when it got to the part where Isaac trembles violently because he's blessed the wrong son, I just kept asking myself, well, why not just take it back? I mean, why not just redo it? Why not pull one of these? I just had this behind, just fingers crossed behind my back, and you know, I'm, why not? And I was wrestling with that, and the narrator of Genesis seems um, wholly unconcerned with that question. He just assumes that once words are out there, they're out there. That once words are spoken, negative or positive, they can't be taken back. And how many of us have said something, and as we see it going out, we're like, oh no. Has this ever worked for anyone? No, once words are out there, they're out there. And once they're out there, they're, they start to take on a life of their own. And words have deep and abiding power because they help shape the futures that we live. It was true for Jacob. It was true for Esau. And blessing shapes us in one of two ways. Either we receive it and we believe it and we live into it, or we disbelieve it and we spend our life searching for it and trying to prove it. See, the future is often spoken over us before it's seen or believed by us. I can remember being a 19-year-old kid helping out on a church's retreat. I was serving in Young Life, and the church, my home church, needed a few extra small group leaders for a high school retreat they were doing. And so um, I found my hand in the air, and I got selected to go on this retreat. And I can remember being there. I was just leading small groups, but there was an older gentleman who came up to me. And he said, Ryan, I don't know you from Adam. I don't know 
I, I don't know anything about your life, but I just want to tell you that I sense from God that he has a great plan for your life and that someday you're going to teach people about the Bible and someday you're going to be a leader in his church. And as a 19-year-old kid, man, I'll tell you what, as a 19-year-old kid who had no idea what my major was going to be, who had no idea what God was calling me to, only that I had this growing passion to work with his people, to be a part of his church, to, to lead in some way. I can tell you, those words sunk into my soul, and they haven't let go today. And they haven't let go today. And so here's my prayer, friends. Here's my prayer. I have this conviction in the same way that Gary Chapman says in one of his books, our words can either be bullets or they can be seeds. They can either be used to hinder, to hurt, to harm, and to humiliate, and to humble, or they can be used to heal and to help and to bring hope. And to bring hope. And I don't know about you, I long to be a part of a community where we are a people of blessing where we take the time to look each other in the eye and to say, this is what I see in your life. To take the time to look each other in the eye and to encourage when people are down, to pray over when they're downtrodden, to breathe hope when there's despair, to breathe peace when there is just absolute chaos and storms in life. I long to be a people who is, I would consider, uh, characterized as a prophetic community where we believe that God still gives words of utterance as the scriptures so clearly say. It's one of the spiritual gifts for one is given through the spirit, an utterance of wisdom to say over somebody's life. I sense this is what God's doing in your life. How does that sound to you? Does that sound right? Does that sound like God's spirit is confirming that to you? And to another, to the utterance of knowledge, I think this is where God's leading and God's guiding. This is a prophetic life-giving, wordy, weighty word community where we recognize that the words that we say have a power about them to shape our future. That's the type of community I want to be a part of. That's the kind of world that I want to be a part of. That's the kind of church that I want to be a part of where we look each other in the eye and we speak good over one another. It is so easy to be a people of cursing. And I don't mean saying bad words. I mean, you can curse somebody with the raise of an eyebrow. You can curse somebody just with silence. You can curse somebody with a passing glance. I want to be a community where we evoke the good of our God over each other. And let me just I know I'm out of time, but I don't care. Today, I don't care today. Here's why. Here, you guys, this is so As parents, will you look up at me for a second? If you're a parent, I just want to speak to you. Because I don't know that there's a more important message for parents than what we see here. The words that we speak or don't speak over our kids will help determine the course of their life. And our kids need to hear us speak good. They need to hear us speak blessing. 
we need to be in tuned enough with who God has created them to be to see that and to help unearth what's already there, to put a finger on it, to put words on it, maybe to build symbols and memories around it because those words will have deep and abiding power in their life. They will. They will help determine their direction. They will confirm or not confirm their value and they will help shape their world. You know what's interesting to me is that because of the effects of sin in our world and in our lives, we all, like Esau, or like Jacob, have this need to dress up. We all have this deep and abiding sense that who we are doesn't quite add up and it isn't quite good enough. Which is why the gospel is so powerful. Because the gospel is not that you are amazing and that you are awesome. But the gospel is, God knows you need something to cover you. That you're going to put on something. You're going to quote unquote dress up one way or another. And so the invitation of the gospel is not to try to pretend you're something that you're not. But to fully embrace who you are and to put on all of who Christ is. That we stand before the throne of God dressed in his righteousness alone. And if you hear nothing else from me this morning, hear this. The good news of the gospel is that the King of kings and the Lord of lords has spoken blessing, goodness over your life. He purchased it on the cross and he gives it to you by his grace freely. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul summarizes this. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has what? Blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. He's holding nothing back over your life, friends. When you put on Christ, he's holding nothing back over your life. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. The blessing that your heart and soul was designed for and longed for cannot be found by pretending to be someone else. But it can be found when you know that he took your place and when you take on his righteousness, he says, if that's where you're at, your life is abundantly, beautifully, miraculously blessed because the King of kings and the Lord of lords has favor over you. And hearing God's favor over us has this unique power and ability to create a new identity within us. Hey, listen, listen, listen. If God was able with one word to speak the cosmos into being, I think with one word from him, he could change the very life that we live. Imagine, imagine if we started to hear him singing over us. Imagine if we started to hear his blessing over us. Imagine is if his, his word determined our direction. Imagine is if his word confirmed our value. And imagine, imagine, imagine if his word started to shape our future.
friends, I pray that those seeds would sink deeply into your soul and that they would take root in a way that would bear fruit not only in your life, but in everybody's life who comes in contact with you. Speak life. Speak hope. Speak blessing. There are power, there is power in your words to shape human worlds. Use your power for good, friends. Use your power for good. Let's pray. So, Lord, I would ask as we, as we close our time together today that you would remind us of the blessing that's ours in you. That the things that we often fight for and we feel like we have to wear a mask to get, that we would recognize today that Jesus went to the cross, Father, that you um, paid the price that we needed in order to receive the blessing that our souls long for. So, Lord, would you help us soak in that? Would you help us remain in that? May your word shape the course of our life. May it confirm value to our soul. And Jesus, may it shape the people we become, the worlds that we create and live in. And Lord, may everybody in our life be influenced by it. We pray that in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Will you stand with me? Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to say a blessing over you. And then you're dismissed. Our band is going to continue 